Welcome back to the Student Physio Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my boss, Helen McElroy. Um, so Helen's been on the podcast before about a year ago. Um, so we're back now and we're going to go through the first couple of months um, of me settling into my new job. So Helen, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's hard to believe that that was a year that you wrote me into that whenever you were a student. <laughs> yep. And then look at us now. Um, so we'll start off, we'll go, we'll go through briefly how I've got to where I am now, and then you can give everyone a little update as to where you are. Um, so as you know, Lewis now works for Focus Performance. Um, my role has uh, changed quite dramatically since um, Lewis joined. So Lewis, you joined in July, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lewis joined in July and I left Ireland on the 27th of July to take up a post in Aspatar in Doha. Um, so we've now been here seven weeks, I think, um, and we're settling in well, so it's good. So I have seven weeks done at work um, and the new role is, it's good. It's definitely good. So my role is I'm a senior physio based within female rehab at Aspatar. So I'm looking after um, all the ladies of Qatar and all the expats and yeah, so it's good. And I suppose it's kind of worked out quite well in that you leaving and then me just coming fresh faced out of uni kind of worked out well for you yeah. in terms of getting someone to come on board. I suppose first way of kind of going about this is in terms of what you need to do to prepare for taking a graduate and what does that process look like? Well, you're the first graduate we've ever took. Um, so yeah, I suppose that has been different for us, massively different for us in that anybody that I have employed before have all been several years qualified. All our full-time staff have worked abroad or worked in other private practices and then came to us. Um, so they had a lot of their training kind of already done. They'd had several years experience. So um, the difference with you was that you were obviously fresh out of uni, um, but you'd done two placements with us. So we knew you, we knew your personality, we knew that you enjoyed the work. You, you had a good idea of what the clinic was all about before you joined. So I suppose your expectations of your job were somewhat already framed by mm -hmm. your presence um, because you've seen what happened in the day-to-day -day running of the clinic. Um, and your placements, we, your first placement, we probably had a little bit more um, like time with you and you did probably less in your first placement than your second one. Your second one, you come in and you just kind of hit the crown run and then you got on with it because you already knew, you know. Yeah. Back. so yeah i yeah i would probably agree with that i felt like the first one was a lot more like a traditional placement than the last one was nearly like crack on and we're kind of next door if you need us type yeah, yeah. type and, thing which is i know yeah, i was just gonna say which is probably how i'll go on no, I, that, that's probably how we treat our staff, yeah. like our employed staff yeah. as well, is what I was going to say, is, you know, there is that open door policy. And once we knew that you were confident in what you were doing and you were open to asking questions and knowing that we were always there to answer them, like one, once we had that established, then I think it was pretty simple for the second placement. So then I suppose how, how does, what do you look for in terms of coming out of placement? And then if 
if someone has come and done a couple of placements with you, what are the kind of skills, qualities, attitude that they have that then makes them employable? And this isn't necessarily just being applied to me. This is for anyone who's kind of coming out of uni. The biggest things are those softer skills that um, are most important, especially within MSK and especially within private practice. Those soft skills are really important. So your attitude towards the patients, your eagerness to, to see them doing well, um, your knowledge of the sports and things that we look after, um, and your attitude to your own learning and um how keen you are essentially to do a really good job and um, those are the biggest things for me in what you would be looking for in a new grad um, if I have that in, a, in an eager new grad that's probably worth an awful lot more than someone with five years experience but maybe doesn't have the right attitude for the job or doesn't have the personality to interact with athletes or you know doesn't have the skill set or the the drive to, to work mm-hmm. in that like private practice is, is hard. It definitely is hard. So mm-hmm. you need to have the drive to work in private practice. It's not one of those ones where you can always just switch off at 5 p.m. Sometimes there is that little bit of give there that, and we try not to obviously, but um, there has to be a little bit of flexibility there in that you are, it's a service industry and yeah. you need to be able to, you know, adjust your own uh, personality and adjust the way you communicate with people depending on whether that's a, 15 year old who wants to play football at the weekend or a 75 year old man with back pain those two people they're they're very different and to have the personality to be able to deal with both is key i think i think definitely in terms of you were saying about it being a service as opposed to what you typically find in in the healthcare systems probably something that i didn't really appreciate on placement as much as i do now and that you know like me and Collie were talking about it there's a time and a place when you take a risk and there's a time and a place when you don't take the risk but I find that you're almost you're almost pressured into taking the risk a lot more in private practice when you've got like lads who are playing Gaelic in this championship season you're you're a lot more pressured into taking that risk in that environment than you would be say in NHS where it's a lot safer if you like in private practice and especially with working in sport in general there is a certain element of risk of some of your decisions um but i suppose all of that has to be a calculated risk you're not taking risks for the sake of taking risks um, yeah. and you're not taking risks that would be to the detriment of the long-term health of the player so it's deciding well i suppose in one way it's pick your battles but in another way it's also is this a risk that won't um, be a long-term risk for that player? Is it a risk that, what what is the outcome of the worst case scenario? And if the worst yeah. case scenario and is agreed on by you and by the athlete that everybody is willing to take that risk, then maybe that risk can be taken. Do you know, if you yeah. take, for instance, if you have a guy who is preparing for a championship final and he is maybe a couple of days out from being 100%, but he's 33 and maybe it's the last time he'll ever play a championship final are you pulling him from that because there's a slight risk of a re-injury of that probably not um because well if they don't play they don't win he'll not have his medal but that might be a 
you know, that might be a soft tissue injury or and it might be the, his last ever game. It's it's building the picture and knowing the players yeah. and knowing the, the, the story around the players that is is how you can take some of those risks. But again, if that yeah, was a young with player with a significant injury or coming back from like a bone stress injury or something like that, and they have many years to play and they're not ready and they're not performing you're not taking that risk. There's no point in taking that risk. Is it going to serve the team? Is it going to serve the player? And what is it going to do to their overall rehab? Is it going to extend it? So all of those things need to be taken into account. And I think that's what you do again by experience. Um, and it's what you speak to us a lot about in you know the management of a player and at the management of the rehab and how quickly can I push this and when do I need to hold them back and you know how how quickly can I progress through rehab? Um, and I suppose one of the things you had said to me about preparing for this was, you know, what do we need to put in place for a new grad to come in? I don't think what we need to put into place for a new grad coming in is any different to what we need to put in place for any staff member. I suppose what you need to have in place are the right pathways within your own clinic that everybody is operating at the same mm-hmm. level, you know, and that everybody's rehab is is up to the highest standard possible. So, you know, the like you would have seen from when we, we were on placement, our ACL pathways and our shoulder pathways and our groin pain pathways and our, um, you know, calf pathway was worked on, I think, in your second placement. I can't remember. Um, but all of those things are kind of pretty much in place. Now, they're not protocols. They're not, you know, they're not strict procedures you have to follow, but we have standards of care and standards that we're expecting from our athletes um given the data that we're collecting and the research that's out there so you know to have those systems in place to allow any staff member to filter in or out of that is probably the most important thing and then if you have those and you can justify potentially taking a risk based on you know yes they're reaching the end of that pathway yes we could maybe push them on a little bit quicker and it's a joint clinical decision with the player then you know Risks are therefore greatly reduced. What's your expectation of a graduate um, coming out of uni in, say, the first six months or the, the first nine months? Um, so my expectations of a graduate coming out of uni are probably quite low, given that, you know, I was once a graduate coming out of uni. I think when you come out of uni, you have the base level of knowledge and you are insurable to work as a physio. But... Um, apart from that, all your learning is essentially done once you get stuck in and start treating patients because um, applying the knowledge that you have learned in university is obviously the most important thing. Um, so there, like, it depends on the university and the course and the base level of what the person has done. Um, obviously, you had already done your master's before you came to us, so that was an added advantage that you had that postgraduate learning in sports medicine as well. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I would say expectations should be pretty low. Like you have no clinical expertise, you know, you have no clinical experience whatsoever apart from what you have gained in your placements. Um, So unless you've been lucky enough to do placements in private practice, you're not going to know the environment, you're not going to know um, even simple things like in private practice with us, we don't always get a referral from the doctor. We very rarely get a referral from the doctor, actually, unless it's post-op or something Mm -hmm. like that, or a a specific consultant has sent the player to us. Um, Yes, we do get GPs referring, but it's the GP saying, right, go and see the physio, um, and that's it. Um, So 
a lot of the time you have zero idea of what is coming through your door so that is quite hard to um, get your head around as well you don't even know what joint you're going to be assessing you don't know you know you don't know the background of the person you you maybe don't have any sort of medical history which is different to the nhs where you may have access to you know imaging that the patient has had you may have access to blood results you may have access to a lot of that stuff we are sometimes going in a little bit more blind so i yeah. think it really does sharpen your your subjective and objective um, skills there. You have to be really sharp in those because you're the first, a lot of the time you're the first point of contact. You're the one that has to rule out all the red flags because maybe they haven't seen their GP and got that done. Um, and you can't expect a new graduate to have done all of that. The biggest thing for me with a new graduate is being open-minded to not missing things, being open-minded to asking all the questions that may seem silly, but are definitely not silly. Um, so querying the smallest of things the things that just don't seem right um and you've done that quite a bit you know there's just something that doesn't sit right with you you maybe don't understand exactly what it is but you know that something doesn't add up it doesn't look like this injury doesn't look like what it should have looked like in the textbook and that's when you come to us to try and ask those questions to clarify your own clinical reasoning and it's only by asking those questions and recognizing what doesn't fit that traditional clinical picture that's how you you know um, look at those nuances of why this person is slightly different and why this person's management might be slightly different. So, yeah, my expectations of a new grad would be quite low. So, you kind of gave me like a phased handover. Yeah. Probably the right way of saying it. So, yeah. three weeks, you mm -hmm. gradually reducing your caseload and me gradually increasing um, my caseload and you kind of handing your patients over to me. What was the thought process behind that? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, the transition out for me and the transition in for you happened at exactly the right time. Um, and obviously then as we were waiting on your HCPC stuff to come through and all of that, you weren't, you were in with us from the 1st of July, but I don't think you actually were on the register to the 15th. So you essentially shadowed yeah. and had a two week induction before you treated anyone. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, those two weeks essentially were spent shadowing me, shadowing Holly, getting up to speed with, you already knew the note system and stuff, which was great. So um, getting up to speed with what we were doing and then kind of setting the objectives of what you wanted to achieve in the first kind of six months to a year. So um, it was nice, I suppose, that I was transitioning out. Um, and I kind of looked at my caseload in what I thought that you could handle and what needed to be passed on to senior staff because they were more complex cases. Um, yeah. So there were a few that were passed on to the senior staff um, and then most of it did go to you though. Um, it is very hard, I think, to take over someone else's case and I find that especially just coming in to ask it hard, there's been stuff, um, there's been cases handed to me and I'm looking at it going, it's very hard to see someone else's thought process. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very hard to see what someone else had in their head for the next progressions of rehab. Um, and especially, I suppose, I was going into Aspatar with, you know, they have different ways of doing things. They have different ways of their pathways being set up and everything is structured in a slightly different way. Whereas with us, I suppose, I had built the pathways and, you know, or we had built them all together. Yeah. You know, so I knew I knew my clinic inside out. So I can see now from your perspective what it must have been like coming in to take over my what's in my head. You know, and that's yeah, that yeah. But you did have those first couple of weeks where you completely just, you know, you got involved in what we were doing as we were planning with the mm -hmm. 
with the player, you seen the rehab we were doing, you knew our pathways from from placements, so you yeah. were able to, to gradually take those over. And yeah, then there was that handover of this is what I'm expecting, these are the next stages, this is the phase of rehab they're at, and then this is where you're going. And then at the start, when we were giving you new patients again, we were trying to triage those to not overwhelm you completely. Yeah. So that, yes, obviously an ankle sprain can come in and that's quite simple, but that ankle sprain on initial assessment can then turn into a syndesmosis injury or turn yeah. into something else that is a little bit more complex and can be you know, a little bit more of an issue. And so we were trying to triage some of that to give you the relatively simple stuff to get you started. Mm-hmm. Um, but like going by some of the stuff you're case reviewing with me now, <laughs> it's got pretty complex pretty quickly. Yeah, hasn't it? pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I've said to a couple of people about kind of how we've went about it. Do you think if you weren't going away, you would have phased me in in the same way, or is that just a mad like it, it's just come about through circumstance? Because I actually think, and from all the people I've spoken to who work in private practice, where there is some sort of system that graduates are phased in it seems to jump really really quickly in a short period of time mm-hmm. and it's like they'll maybe start off where their their appointment times are the same but they'll maybe get 10 minutes to do their notes at the end or 15 minutes to do their notes at the end and then all of a sudden within two or three months the expectation is that they're seeing 17 18 19 patients a day whereas i don't feel like there's that same pressure on me nearly that if I need that extra little bit of time, I can have that extra little bit of time to work it out, to go through it, to, you know, block a little bit of time out, to go through it with Collier or Orla or whatever, or even to, yeah. to come on a call with you and, and do that. Do you think you would have done it slightly differently? No, I don't think so, because I think the what I always want to put at the forefront is the quality of the care rather than the amount of patients that are coming through the door. And yeah. that will probably always be reflected in, you know, the, the business side of, of the clinic as in like you know it might never make the millions that I would love it to make but at the same time I kind of always feel that it's my reputation you know it was it's yeah. it's what I've built it, you know I've spent 10 years building the clinic I'm not going to hand it over and just churn patients through the door and may yeah. not be there and you know like I don't want the quality of what we've built to to decline because I'm not there or because I want you to be making me as much money as possible. That's not what it's about. It's about the quality of the care and also giving you the chance to be able to, like, how are you ever going to learn if you're not given the time to learn? You know, you're never going to be able to, you know, figure out what is going wrong with that patient unless you're given the opportunity to discuss it with us or go and look it up yourself or watch something on YouTube or, you know, yeah. you need that time to be able to learn. And it is unrealistic to expect you to know everything about every condition as a new grad. So like we're bringing you in there and whatever time you need, you get, you know, like by yeah. all means, yes, there is a certain number of patients they expect you to see. You can't be oh, yeah, yeah. day four or five hours a day. That's not going to work. Yeah. But you're only learning by seeing patients anyway. The more you see, the more you figure it out. Um, but it's there's there's a happy medium there. Like you are, yeah. um, you do have, you do have two hours a week with Collie, don't you? You have two mm-hmm. hours a week, yeah. um, you know, in supervision time with him. Plus, then you have the team making where everybody discusses their cases. But at the same time, you're also in contact with me. You know, you're also in contact with. You know, we're putting you in contact with 
the surgeons where you need it, you know, so you're trying to build that network. Um, and the network is a massive, a massive part of working in private practice too, and you can't underestimate that. You know, you need the time to be able to send those emails to the surgeons to ask the right questions, to query something if you're in bother with something, or just even to build that um you know that the surgeon knows your name and you yeah. know that they can lift the phone to you if they have a concern because your network is massively important when you're trying to figure something out or even like in the case of what we were discussing earlier in the week with that tricky patient that you know i was here but speaking to a sports medicine doctor based in dublin yeah. to try and figure out where exactly we're sending this guy because it is a very rare injury so those things you like there's there's times where i'm like i'm not sure but we'll find out do you know so yeah, there will be tell. someone who will know yeah and if if you don't know and i don't know collie doesn't know or orla doesn't know we'll, we'll find somebody who does know do you know yeah. And, yeah um and those things get rarer and rarer with the more experience you have but at the same time you still need to be able to bounce ideas off other people um like you're in an environment there where you're seeing predominantly gaa rugby you know that kind of thing but like if somebody comes in that plays basketball or water polo like we have had a few water polo yeah. players but, um, you know if those rare things come in you know or the rare sports come in you need to be able to contact somebody who works in that sport or you know yeah. those kind of things are really important so you need the time to be able to learn yeah i think i think i counted up there's like eight or nine dedicated hours a week to either between rehab or supervision or a team meeting or whatever and i had passed that off i was talking to um connor and brad about that at the very start and they can believe the volume of time that that i had and i i kind of compared it to like almost being on placement but you're getting paid for it's like there's no way i could ever know every single rehab pathway for every single injury in the first couple of months like you need that time to sit to go one to for me to go through it myself and then to have the time to actually go through it with someone else and like we kind of said or i kind of thought the start geez two hours of supervision is an awful lot at the very start but the amount that we're getting through and how quickly it's transferring over to practice i'm even surprised by yeah. in some way yeah. you know, like we've spent the last month we've spent the first month going through hamstring rehab and hamstrings are coming through the door like i've never seen anything like it like you know you're getting <laughs> like i'm getting like two or three new hamstrings a day nearly and at the very start, how I would have assessed and rehabbed the hamstring is completely night and day to how I do it now. Like, yeah, completely different. And yeah. had I not had the time, you know, if you count that up and there's eight hours of dedicated time to getting hamstring stuff right, had I not had that time, I don't think I would have anywhere near the confidence that I do now if someone comes in through the door and. Mm -hmm. Collie kind of has this quote and I love it. It's like, know the rules before you break the rules. And it was like, these are the rules to treating a 2B and this is the pathway that you go through. Mm -hmm. And only in this instance, can you do X or you can get them back to run maybe two days before the pathway says that. But it's only until you see them over and over and over again that you can spot those little indicators and little signs that you can return them slightly earlier. You have to delay them a little bit longer. Yeah, And actually having that, dedicated time on the side to go through that has made such a difference like like an unbelievable amount of difference and i think 
it's good to put that in from the start because I don't ever want somebody to be in there and completely overwhelmed and then even yeah. the simple things start to get tough, you know, because yeah. like if we were just firing patients at you and you do have 40 minutes um, for your assessments as well, um, like we have 30 here in Aspatar and going back down to 30 actually has been, <laughs> it's been a challenge. Tough. Um, yeah. So um, like you have your 40 minutes, you have your rehab time daily, but like how are you supposed to figure out your thought process, stage your rehab appropriately, making sure that you're covering everything within your rehab process. Like it's difficult even when you have 10 or 15 years experience to absolutely mm -hmm. nail every rehab session. But when you haven't done the volume of them, um, you know, there's no way you're getting that done in between patients. There's no way you're getting that done. And I don't expect you to get that done at lunchtime or after work, you yeah. know, um, so it's making sure that you aren't absolutely overwhelmed because your brain doesn't work if you're absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. So you need to be able to think clearly on that, have your time, have your pathways in place there and have the support. Um, so yeah, I don't, um, like whilst it is, yeah, probably a financial, from a financial point of view in private practice, I don't even think it is detrimental because yeah. the time that you spend improving the quality of your care will reflect back into the outcomes you're getting and increasing the reputation of the clinic. And yeah. that's why people are more than happy to see the new graduate over, you know, the senior physios. Yeah. Yeah. That I would, I would agree with that in terms of you get the reputation for the quality of it than the actual turnover and, whenever I had thought about that at the start, like from your perspective, I was thinking, well, surely Helen could cut that in half and I would see 10 extra patients, for example. But when you actually think about it, that if you have a player come from a specific club and you get them back to return to play in the time that you're supposed to get them back and everything goes smoothly, well, the next time someone in that club has a similar injury, they're going to come back here. Yeah. Whereas if you didn't have the time to have the knowledge base and the practice of it and you send them away and they break down yeah. well, then that club's going to think well i'm not going to send our next player yeah. there and yeah it definitely falls into into that pattern but you can uh, see too that that's how we built the clinic like you know oh yeah completely like our, our clinic i i don't know that i have had even a marketing budget you know like yeah. we don't really spend money on marketing or google ads or anything like yeah. that like and we are in quite a, a small rural area so it, yeah. It's all pretty much word of mouth. And what good is word of mouth if the word of mouth is, oh, she fired a new grad in there and he's just churning out and the outcomes aren't as good or I broke down after seeing him or, yeah. you know, like, and yes, everybody will still make mistakes and, you know, like people will break down and that's just the nature of high level sport. Um, and like, you know, I've had patients break down and I've had patients with recurring injuries and that is, but you have to look at that and, and reflect on why that happened, what, what we could have done better. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't think it's a, from a financial perspective as a business owner, I would prefer that I'm giving you the time to learn and develop and bring your level of care up to the level of everybody else rather than um, it being detrimental to us in the long term. You know, if I can yeah. turn you into a really, really good senior physio, then that's what we're looking for. Yeah. So that's it for episode 28 of the podcast. Um, don't forget to give us some feedback on Apple and on our social media on Twitter and Instagram. And those handles are at physiopodcast1. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now.